comic books are the best intersection of visual and written media. You're listening to XP Hunter. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another exciting, titillating episode of XP Hunter. It's your favorite friend of me, Lee. I think today I'm more your friend than your enemy. So let's just jump in. We're going to do another top five, but today we're going to do it on comics. I love comics so much. Most people will say, oh, the book was so much better than the movie. And it's obviously it's going to be better, right? A book can span, you know, multiple hours um, just because, I mean, even I guess you'll say small story arcs can be like 300 some odd pages. And then I guess you would say a movie script kind of uh, analogy. One page is technically one minute. So, you know, 300 and some odd pages is 300 and some odd minutes. And that is a very long movie. Um, as anyone who's ever watched like the Lord of the Rings trilogy all the way through can tell you, like it will take up almost your whole day. Uh, so kicking off the list is the God Butcher story arc. Um, and this is a Thor story arc and Thor is published by Marvel. <laughs> I'm going to get those two mixed up a couple times because to me, they're very much synonymous with each other. They have a lot of crossover characters. And so I'm going to be mixing them up. Don't be mad. I do know the difference, but sometimes they're basically the same entity to me. But yeah, Thor is um, is published by Marvel. And in the God Butcher story arc, I find it so interesting because, of course, our favorite uh, bad guy, Loki, is also in it. And it really kind of expands uh, the multiverse or like the, the understanding of the universe in which uh, Marvel takes place. And so uh, Loki, uh, the story kind of starts with Loki um, being at this really big, uh, I guess you call it a great archive. Uh, it's called, I forget, um, but he's at this big archive. He's talking to the head librarian. And he's looking for some kind of information. Um, and, you know, Thor's kind of, at this point, he is unworthy. And so he's not like out there doing his Thor thing because this is during the time when, um, uh, Jane Forrester, Foster, Jane Foster is Thor. Yes, female Thor. Woo! She's pretty badass. Uh, sorry, <laughs> she's pretty. Uh, she's a really good Thor. But so this is time Thor's unworthy. He's not, he doesn't have the hammer. He's not you know Thor, and uh, Loki's trying to find out all this information, and he ends up finding out that there are gods for every planet that exists in the multiverse, really, but in their universe, right? So. One after another, he starts to find out that all these gods are dead, right? Um, because obviously, uh, there's a pantheon of gods like Thor and Loki and Odin. Uh, they're all gods, right? But they're gods from a very specific um, planet. They're from uh, gods from the planet Earth. Um, if you've ever read any of the other uh, Marvel story arcs, there's actually like a whole panel, and Zeus is on it, and um, some Egyptian gods are on it, and that's because. Earth has several different gods that are, are native to it. So, of course, other planets have their own gods. And those gods, um, for the most part, are real, right? Um, and they come to find out that all these gods are being killed. And so Loki, obviously, he's in search for power. But in his search for power, he finds all these pantheons have been destroyed completely, utterly. No question. And 
The thing about it is, yes, uh, we call them gods, right? I mean, Thor has been defeated before. Loki has definitely been defeated. And, you know, Odin has that weird Odin sleep thing where he can kind of come and go as he pleases. Like, the, you know, the writers wrote that. Um, not just because, I mean, that's in the base myth, but it makes it easy to put him in and take him out of stories. So um, they find these whole pantheons of planets just just level. They're all just dead. And they're like, what could have done this? What could have done this? And of course, the, the name of the Ark is God Butcher, right? So um, after, you know, Loki goes traveling around, right? So after a while, he finds this entity, this God, who he actually ended, he actually fought Thor a long time ago when Thor was, you know, young, quotation marks. So hundreds of years ago, he found Thor when Thor was really arrogant and kind of, you know, just not a nice person and he fought him he almost killed him but he didn't um and this was also when the god butcher was young so the god butcher was just starting his you know path of blood and loki goes to thor and he's like hey you know i, I found this entity like all these gods are dead like i don't know what's going on and you come to find out that the God Butcher came from a planet where his people were starving. Like there was this really long drought and then his eldest child died and then his wife died and then his youngest child died. And there, you know, of course, this planet also has gods and he's praying to his God. His people are pray praying to their gods, save us, help us. Like, what do we have to do um, so that you'll do what you're supposed to do? You know, you're a God of mercy. You're a God of the the rain like please help us and nothing happens their gods are not there to help them or protect them and eventually everyone around him dies and it's just him and he's so fed up because what is a god if the god's not going to help you you know especially if it's a god who has proposed that they're going to help you you know it's like well i am a god of mercy and it's like well where's your mercy now god like i'm here we've been begging you i've been begging you and you're not here and so he's super super upset and then he sees these two beings fall from the sky they're fighting each other obviously one's black and one's white because tropes and they fall down and they both end up dying right they kill each other and so in the wreckage of their bodies and they're massive he finds a sword and it ends up being called a necro sword, but he takes a sword and because the gods weren't there to save him, he just goes on a rampage because the gods weren't there to help him. They didn't protect him, his family, his people. And so he uses the sword to um, gain his power because obviously the sword is a sword of a god and it has its own attributes just like M Mjolnir. And so he uses the sword and he just goes and cuts down the pantheons of all these planets because he's like, you don't need these gods. These gods are going to let you down. You guys know I love mind games. I love stories that really make you think. And so in the end, you end up realizing that this, you know, his downfall and the God Butcher's downfalls really at the end of the day is his own fault. And he perpetuates it, even though he has uh, he has now been is being called by the people that he rules. And I use rule very, very lightly because that's not what he's doing. It's basically slavery. They call him a god. And so now the God Butcher is a god and he kills gods. So it's a very interesting story arc. I like it because it, it puts not only um, the place of gods in the Marvel Universe, but also in, you know, IRL in a very interesting light. Right. Because the thing is, if a god's here and like this is their duty, this is supposed to what they're supposed to be doing, even though in the Marvel Universe, you know, gods are have, they can do whatever they want. Right. Even if they're a god of mercy, they can turn their back on you. 
but it kind of puts the light on what happens if someone who doesn't have any power gains the power of a god and now they they want to hold them to task right so it's like you should do what you say you're going to do um most of these story arcs are going to come from the mainstream and when i say mainstream or established um comic book houses i'll do another one on indie comics because there are so many and they are so good and so depth in depth and the art is amazing so we're going to cover indie comics separate so number three on the list is Dark Knight's Metal. Woo! Okay, so obviously Batman was going to show up on this list eventually. I really, really love Batman. He's like dark. He's gritty. He's pretty awesome sometimes when he wants to be. Dark Knight's Metal, I personally like it because um, it's kind of been like a building story plot for a very long time. Um, probably since a little bit before the New 52. But in Dark Knight's Metal, they talk about this metal called the Nth Metal. And it's... Um, kind of like it's not rare but it's kind of been floating around the universe like um uh, wonder woman's mom who lives in themyscira she has like a, a helmet that's made out of nth metal and all this other things and you kind of find out that batman as an entity uh, who he is specifically even being uh bruce wayne it was precipitated by an evil entity called barbados it's spelled kind of like Barbados, but Barbados, whatever. He's an evil entity, God thing, and he looks like a bat. And so uh, a little while earlier in the Batman series, Batman ended up getting um, tossed through time. And so he ended up going way, 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 way back to like Neanderthal times. And so him being Batman and he was transported in his suit because he's very rarely not in his suit. And, you know, when prehistoric people or even people today when you they see something they kind of uh, want to explain it right and so there starts to be a thing called a bat cult and there are all these other cults too but the bat cult is the one that we focus on obviously because it was based on batman um and we found out that barbados kind of put all these things into play so that um, bruce wayne's parents would die and bruce wayne would become batman and i find that so interesting right because you know the batman we know and love he ended up being the way he is because you know uh circumstances it was a coincidence but now we find out it's not a coincidence and this whole time in the beginning of the series the very first book batman is actually like kind of running away from everyone and everyone's like oh just calm down like we'll help you da, da, da. and batman's like no you can't help me um and obviously this is this everything right like batman is the smartest don't ever question me don't you know just do what i say and be happy um but of course they end up catching him and in trying to stop from whatever they think is happening from happening they actually cause it to happen and we are introduced to these evil batman and it's so exciting right because it's just like why injustice is such a good storyline it's because it's like what would happen if and so um instead of these being like what if stories they're just parallel batmans and so we had there are five of them um and what the explanation is that the universe is categorized into positive and negative right and so all these batmans are from negative universes these are these are scenarios or um, I'll say storylines or realities that were never meant to really exist. So they're actually collapsing in on themselves. Right. And so all these Batman who have been recruited by Barbados are like, why should we have to disappear? Why should we not survive? What makes the, the positive universe Batman's more worthy than us? And so they all get together to escape. And so that's what ends up happening. So you have 
the Batman who they're basically crossover characters, but they're very interesting crossover characters. So you have the drowned who is uh, the crossover between Batman and Aquaman. And um, she's actually a woman, which I think is super, super interesting. And the whole participant per precipitate of her becoming Batman was that, um, you know, she was engaged, she was going to get married. And then her fiance was killed um, by, you know, uh, people who are from, I don't know if they're specifically from Atlantis, but you know, they're, they're sea creatures. And so Batman being Batman in any universe is like, in any universe is like, this is an unknown entity. We can control them. We don't know anything about them. We need to stop them. After, you know, the death of her fiance and everything, um, she goes into the knife and actually gives herself the same powers as Aqua woman, I guess you would say, and ends up killing her. But the thing is, is that killing is always not the right answer for Batman. It's just literally not. So that's kind of the turning point for all the Batmans is killing. So you also have, oof, I don't remember all the names, but you also have uh, the Bat Who Laughs. Who ever, yo, the Bat Who Laughs is like the centerpiece of the whole thing, right? Because Batman and Joker are, they are night and day to each other. They can't be a Batman without there being a Joker. They kind of need each other. And so the precipitate of that one is that um, Batman is going to, he's fighting with the Joker and he ends up killing him and the Joker has a fail safe. And so Joker toxin like comes from his body and the Batman inhales it. And so the Batman doesn't tell anyone about it. He doesn't tell the Bat family nothing. And so little by little, it corrupts his mind and he ends up killing the entire Bat family and Superman. And, um, he becomes the Bat who laughs eventually and, and the thing about it is that he's not wholly Batman he's not wholly the Joker which makes him crazy dangerous because we all know that the Joker will do the Joker does what he wants he doesn't really he's not really in it for the carnage in general but he's like if I have to like flay you or skin off your face to reach my goals to do whatever it is I want to do I'm gonna do it there's nothing that's gonna hold him back and then on top of that you have Batman's intelligence right so the bat who laughs is super crazy. He also shows up with all these um, Robins in the classic Robin suit. And all they can say is crow, crow, crow bar, because we all know that um, these are Jason Todd's, right? Because that the Joker killed Jason Todd with a crowbar. And um, obviously there are, there's also the one who's um, Batman crossed with Cyborg, the Batman who's crossed with the Flash, um, and Batman who's crossed with Doomsday. And they're all kind of just like our universes were collapsing and we deserve to exist just as much as you do. Like you're not the best of us. You're just as bad as us. You just haven't slipped into um, you just haven't slipped into um, the, the right things just haven't ha happened to you. Right. So the Batman who who crosses with Cyborg, uh, a group of like, you know, his rogues got together and ended up killing um, Alfred. And so, you know, Alfred keeps Batman in check. And so Alfred's gone. And so Batman's like, he's just so empty that he ends up trying to create uh, an, artificial an artificial intelligence that mimics Alfred. And then he merges himself with that. And then he's like, well, I need more. And so he ends up taking over Cyborg because Cyborg's, um, you know, internal bits are from a more advanced universe. So he, he uses it and it, the whole thing is, is just surreal and, and uh, it's just an interesting read, which is why it's my third favorite story arc. Um, my second favorite story arc is Heroes in Crisis. Why? 
Heroes in Crisis is a popping storyline, guys. Um, just because, again, I like um, introspective uh, reading. And so most people, when they read it, read comics, they're not thinking about the impact it's having on the, the superhero, right? Oh, he saved the day. He saved me and you. And, you know, he didn't sacrifice his morals to do it. Oh, my God, he's so great. His life is so great. He's so handsome. And, you know, he could have any woman he really wanted. And, oh, man, I love superheroes. It's very easy to superficially look at the situation and not see it for what it is. But in Heroes in Crisis, you're presented with views of superheroes in a way that makes you actually think about what they're doing, right? Could you imagine risking your life every day? And that's your job. There's no question. It's not like you saw a little kid wander into the street and a car's coming and you ran out there and you, you know, dive and pull them out of the way. That's one instance and you're running on adrenaline. You're literally, we're talking about literally purposely putting yourself in harm's way. Could you imagine? Or imagine going out with all your best friends and you guys are going out to help someone right you're gonna like walk the street and make sure there's no crime but then you go out and you're um I don't know you're cornered by like some street gang and all your friends die and you live can you imagine the feelings that you would have being in that situation it's it can be heart-wrenching and the thing is you do it over and over and over again on purpose because reasons I guess and then you have situations with superheroes in comics that everyone always laughs about and sometimes gets agitated about where you know you die and then they get brought back can can you imagine what that would be like we're not talking about getting hit by a car and they're like oh you were dead for a whole minute or two minutes or five minutes we're talking about like you were flat out dead and in most comic universes in you know in marvel and dc and stuff there's an afterlife right there there are places you can go and so imagine being there and like seeing all these people and knowing you're dead. And then for whatever reason, you get pulled back. Oh, my God. Can, can you imagine how how much strain that would put on your mental faculties? And that's why I love Heroes, Heroes in Crisis, because the thing about being like a hero is that everyone wants to be a hero, a hero until they are actually a hero. Right. Everyone wants to be a leader until they actually have to be a leader. It looks glamorous. It looks so cool. Um, I, you know, flying and saving the day and pretty, you know, women and handsome men throw themselves at me. Wow, this is great. But the thing is, you have to put your life on the line. You have to watch other people die to save other people, right? Like the life of one is is not as um, important as the life of the many, right? And so you have to make those decisions all the time. And although a lot of some superheroes aren't human, a great deal, great many of them are human. And while I can't say how that it would weigh on Martian Manhunter's mind, right? Because he's technically a Martian. He's not human. But on any human, that is a gigantic burden. Um, so let's move on to my number one favorite uh, a video game. So before so before we go to my number one favorite comic start story arc, we're just going to, I'm just going to list off some honorable mentions. So Saga, while not being um, published by like DC or Marvel and it's not technically a superhero uh, comic. Oh, my God. It's such a good graphic novel, comic, whatever you want to call it. But Saga, it was so good. And it's not on the list because it's technically not a story arc. It literally is. It's still it just had one plot the whole uh, the whole throughout the whole thing. But it, it was so good from beginning to end. I loved it. You know, there's a little bit of racism. There's a little bit of surreal um, comedy and I, it was just so good. If you've never um, read it, you 
can find it online uh, or at your local comic store, you know, Newberry Comics and the like. But I think that you would really like it. So if you want to find it, you can find it online. Just Google Saga. It's S-A-G-A, you know, classic spelling. But it's really good and it, it hits hard and it is really interesting. It's also, um, I would say, not censored, right? So there are just certain things that don't happen in comics because you know, oh, some people might be offended. It has no qualms about offending people in any way, which I like. Uh, also, we have um, the Eternal Return um, story arc, which is uh, really attached to um, Stormwatch, which is a comic that is pub was published by Wildstorm, but you know Wildstorm was a company that was absorbed by DC, so now it's published by DC, um, and it includes like two of my favorite characters um, by the name of Midnighter and Apollo, and they are kind of um, I guess a lot of people say they're like basically mirror images of Batman and Superman, uh, except that the Midnighter, who would be Batman's, you know, kind. Uh, counterpart he loves violence and he loves killing he usually kills his opponents he has no qualms he kills all the time he's like yeah you got to go down and uh, apollo who is basically superman's um counterpart um because you know he uses he absorbs the sun and that makes him strong and he uses like solar energy to fight and everything but the midnighter and apollo are together and i can't tell you how many times i've like read a story arc with superman and batman and i'm like yo they will make a popping couple they would be amazing together. <laughs> and the great thing is, is that the Midnighter and Apollo are. They're not just dating. They don't just kind of mess around. They're married. Um, and it's awesome. And what I really like about the story arc is it's it's very much kind of like injustice in the case that, you know, the authority, which is their superhero group's name, um, is kind of like, oh, best way to keep people safe is like become you know the the establishment and so they take over the world slash united states whatever and they become uh the ruling body um just like superman did in uh injustice and then you know apollo from the future comes back to midnighter and he's like midnighter this is what's gonna happen like everyone's gonna end up dead obviously the other honorable mention is injustice right i love injustice i love the what if superman went bad because it can happen in the drop of a dime because while superman is not technically human he's a kryptonian from another part of our galaxy or another galaxy mm. he's he you know he can change his mind he has that ability he doesn't have to be on the side of humans he could be on his own side and i love the thought that that happens mm. um so now we get to my very first favorite video game arc which is the blackest night Woo! this is a this is a green lantern story arc and um obviously green lantern is published by dc but in recent years like i used to think i used to not like green lantern i, I want to say not like him but he just wasn't like a draw for me i'm like mm, i'm not really all that interested and if you really know the history of green lantern you know that literally when it first came out he was based on magic no one really cared and then you know space became a thing and so that's how uh, Green Lantern became like a space policeman and the original uh, the very first space Green Lantern Hal Jordan like I wasn't really interested in him he wasn't like a mainstay <laughs> for me personally but recently I have become very interested interested in the storyline and so in the blackest night um, obviously there's a lot of lot, a whole lot of lead up to the blackest night but the the blackest night and a little bit of the brightest day and, and the subsequent um, 
publications that go with The Blackest Night are really interesting. But The Blackest Night is my favorite, mostly because uh, it just expands, again, the universe, right? So it's not just, oh, the Green Lantern Corps, and they are space police. I mean, they're, they're galaxy police, and, and they, they patrol, and they protect people, and their Green Lantern rings let them do this, but they can't do that. And, and it was just, it was really flat, right? So The Blackest Night um, storyline really expanded uh, the Green Lantern mythos, right? So you end up finding out that there are all these other Lantern Corps because, you know, green is will, right? Green Lanterns have the ability to um, overcome great fear with their will, just with the sheer force of their own will. And so you find out that obviously there's the Star Sapphires, which are violet and they represent love, but like, not like, oh goodness, I love you. Like, ooh, I love you so much. I'm gonna like encase you in crystal so that nothing can hurt you and you can never leave me kind of love it. It's very strange, that one. And then you have indigo and um, obviously red, which is anger, orange, which is fear. I mean, orange, which is avarice, yellow, which is fear and um, white white comes in at the end but it just expands it so much and in the course of up oh, in black obviously which is death and white which is life and so over the course of the story plot um again the trope is brought up that a lot of characters are killed off right like martian man hunter dies aquaman gets killed you know i mean to be fair in, in crisis on infinite earths um Superman dies, right? Like, so you have all these superheroes who are killed, and then in the course of this, the Black Lantern rings attach themselves to dead superheroes, and those superheroes come back to fight their counterpart. I mean, to fight their friends. And I think that's super interesting, right? Because the thing is, the the Black Lantern corpse are really reanimating their corpses. It's not really them per se, but they do have their memories, and so they kind of taunt people. And when a ring of any color wants to choose someone. It kind of goes around the universe, it flies around, and it can detect someone's abilities, right? So when the Green Lantern ring goes to anyone, when it goes to Hal Jordan or Jon Stewart or Kyle Rayner, it's like, you have the ability to overcome great fear. And so it's saying that you have great force of will and you'd be a really great Green Lantern. So during the Blackest Night uh, story arc, once all these other colors from the, the emotional spectrum show up, the rings from those specific colors go to Peros on Earth. And so Batman is approached by a yellow lantern ring. And so it says, Batman, you have the ability to inspire great fear in people, right? Which is true because that's Batman's whole premise is that he makes people fear him. It's like, oh my God, like I would do this, but Batman might have a plan. He might do this. He might do that. And so it approaches him. Obviously, Batman's like, no, thank you. And so the ring leaves. But um, uh, who, uh, I think... Guy Gardner, who is also already a Green Lantern, he's approached by a Red Lantern ring. And at the time, he's really upset, so he takes it. And uh, the thing about the Red Lantern ring, it's the most destructive because it actually, like, eats your heart or something. Like, you literally, once you put on a Red Lantern ring, it is nearly impossible to take it off because you would die if you did. Um, I think the Flash becomes a Blue Lantern, and Blue is hope. And so it's just, oh, it's just a, such a good story arc. And you realize, you find out that Green Lanterns are made stronger by blue light because blue is hope. It's just, oh, it's a good story arc because you, you learn more about the Green Lantern um, court and you learn more about the superheroes just in the scope of what rings from which color approach them. But then on top of that, how they choose to fight their dead comrades who are back because of the Black Lantern rings. Um, I'm probably explaining this really poorly, but uh, 
we're coming to the end of the episode and if you guys would like to comment or let me know your favorite comic book story arc you can send me an email at xphunterlee at gmail.com or you can check out the website um you can also send me a dm on instagram and let me know what you think but until the next time guys do it for the xp bye